What we're doing this morning is we're going to jump back into our series on Matthew. Uh, We've called it The Cross and the Crown, and this idea that Jesus is a king, but he's not the kind of king that we kind of expect, or what the writer of, uh, or Matthew is writing to the Jews, it's not the kind of king that they were expecting. They were expecting a king who would come and liberate them from all their political woes, right? Somebody's going to come and rescue us from this oppression of the Roman government, this oppression from all these people that have told us how we can worship and where we can do and all of the taxes that we feel. And so Matthew's writing this apologetic to the Jewish audience and saying, hey, there is a Messiah and his name is Jesus and let me prove it to you. But he's not the kind of king that you're expecting. He's the kind of king of an upside down kind of kingdom. And we're going to see the very contrast of that this morning as we read through Matthew's gospel in in chapter 5. We're going to see that the kind of kingdom that Jesus speaks of is not the kind of kingdom that you and I expect all the time. And um, let let me just say this as we jump into our text this morning. We're thinking about kingdoms and and, and Matthew proving to us that Jesus is the Messiah, the anointed one, the, the long-awaited rescuer. Often we as the church get labeled a certain way, right? Especially nowadays and age. If you were to kind of give an unbeliever, a non-believer, a non-religious person an interview about Christianity, what would the, the tone of their response be? Negative? just the same as the world? What's the big word that every non-Christian accuses Christians of being, especially in the church? (laughs) Yeah, hypocritical. And the reality is that our cultural American, and I want to say that very specifically, a cultural American Christianity has been found wanting by the world. A lot of the world will look at us and they just, they, you know, they say, oh, you're, you're Chick-fil-A. Chick-fil-A represents everything about Christianity, right? And so, or, or political, you're, or, you're all right-wingers and, you know, right-wingers are all racist and all, you know, we get labeled all this certain way. And I would have to argue with the world and say, some of their observation about us as the church is not far off. It's quite true. And what Matthew's going to do with us, recording the words of Jesus, is he's going to let us see that there should be and there is a contrast between us and the world. So if you have your Bibles, uh, let's turn to Matthew chapter 5. It'll be up on the screen for us here. If you don't have your Bibles, we're reading from the ESV, English Standard Version. And this is where we're going to start in Matthew chapter 5, verse 13 through 16. Now, don't check out on me, all right? If you've been a Christian for longer than like five minutes, you've read this scripture, you've heard this scripture preached a hundred times, and the, the challenge this morning is to go, oh, I already know what we're going to be talking about. Shoot, dang it, you know. Let, allow the Holy Spirit to work in your heart this morning, okay? All right? So let's, let's dive in here. Chapter 5, verse 13. This is Jesus speaking to the disciples. He says this, you are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. Verse 14, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. 
Thank you, God, for your word. Can, uh, let's pray this morning before we go any further. Jesus, thank you that you are the word. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. The word became flesh. Jesus, thank you that your word is eternal, that you are eternal. Jesus, thank you that your word not only comforts us, um, it not only encourages us, but it also challenges us. And thank you that your word transforms us to become more like you, Jesus. And so as we sit here this morning under the authority of your, of your word, your scripture, your holy scripture, we ask, Holy Spirit, will you come and, and change our hearts, soften our hearts? Will you awaken in us this morning things that have been dormant, things that have grown dim? Will you rekindle the light that's within us? Will you re-salty us, so to speak, this morning, Holy Spirit? And we, we subject ourselves to you in your word. Change and transform us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So there's two kind of things that Jesus points out to his disciples here of who they are. Now, the, the, what I want us to first notice is that Jesus makes two statements about the salt and light. And, and that first one is that Jesus says, you are. I don't know if you guys noticed that. Now, it's so easy for us to kind of just go, yeah, I get that, and I've heard that before, and to glaze over that really easy and just kind of go right over our heads. But this is profound for us, for those of us who call ourselves Christians, for those of us here this morning who have put our hope and our faith in Jesus as both Lord and Savior, there is this identity uh, understanding what Jesus is telling his disciples. He's not saying, be like this, act like this. He says right out of the gate in verse 13, you are salt. You are light. And what we often do with our Christianity is often take a statement like this and we religionize it. Is that a word? It can be a word, right? I just made it a word. You're welcome. We religionize our gospel. What we do is we take an identity and we make it a verb, right? And so we say, well, Jesus says you are the light, you are the salt, so in order for me to please God and to make him happy and to make myself feel better, I'll do all these things and try to do all this stuff to make him think somehow that I am what he said I am. But that's not the way the gospel works. Remember, Christianity is not something you do. Christianity is something that's been done to you. And so when Jesus makes a statement, you are the salt of the earth, you are the light of the world, he's helping those, these guys right here, this is a real instance where Jesus is on this mountain, he's speaking to all these disciples, real people, he's telling them, hey guys, because you're following me, because you've given your heart to me, because you've called yourself disciples, it's not because you've done all these good things, it's because you put your hope and your faith in me. You now are this identity. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. And the other statement I want us to notice is that when Jesus says this identity issue, he's, he's giving them in this identity of salt and light, it's a very public way of living their life, right? He's not saying, um, okay, you are the salt of the earth and go hide yourself in a cupboard, right? You are the light of the world and hide it under a bushel. No. no. Okay, Angie knew where I was going with that. Let's try it one more time. Hide it under a bushel. No. 
Okay, that, if you didn't grow up in church, sorry. <laughs> That's like when, when we were little kids, we sing this song. I get this little light of mine. All right, all right, all right, stop. Hey, hey. So let's, let's unpackage these two identities that Jesus gives us. Now, I've heard preachers and preaches and sermons on and these things, and we all have. Um, and, you know, sometimes we take these things so far, these analogies of being salt and light. And I don't want to really do that this morning. I don't want us to read too much into the text of what Jesus is saying about salt. You know, so you've heard it said like salt's a preservative and we're meant to preserve our society. And yes, that's absolutely true. And salt is a fertilizer. I don't even understand that one, but I've heard preachers say it. I've never poured salt on my plants to help them grow. It seems like that would kill the plants for some reason. But so I've even heard a guy say, well, salt is white. And so white is pure and holy, you know, and it's like, I don't think so. Like that's just way too far. Okay. Um, and what I, I'm just going to talk about one thing that salt is, and it's the obvious thing. Salt is salty. <laughs> well, there you go. All right. Now, we're called to be salty. Now, my kids, I, I think my kids' generation, that means something totally different. If you've got kids, teenagers, my, my daughter especially, my 18-year-old would be like, Dad, you're salty, right? And I'm like, thank you, you know? <laughs> And she's like, oh, no, that's not a good thing. So salty is like, man, you're like, uh, you're really like tense. You're like aggro. You're like, uh, you got an attitude, you know? And um, so I'm not meaning that kind of salty. But you notice, right? I, I think it's Melissa's grandfather. I'm just going to tell a story about Melissa's grandfather. He will eat boiled chicken breasts. That's it. Straight up, just boiled chicken breasts. That's disgusting. <laughs> I mean, at least get some fire on that thing, right? Char it up a little bit. And <laughs> that's the Guatemalan part. But I mean, if you've ever eaten a piece of meat, if you've even a cookie, well, you put salt in the cookie. Why? Because what salt does is enhances. It is, salt is an obvious contrast to what is already there. And I believe when Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth, what he's saying to his disciples is, listen guys, you are different than this world. There is meant to be a contrast experienced when someone experiences who you are. You're not meant to be like boiled chicken walking around the world. Now, the problem with salt is, yes, we are called to be salty. We're called to be, like when someone tastes who we are, so to speak, they're meant to go, wow, I, I see the flavor. I, I'm experiencing something that I, I really am enjoying. And tell me, tell me, how to, where do I find more of that, right? Uh, this whole idea of living a life that demands an explanation. Remember we said that? You, you go to work, you, you're in the store, you're, you're spending time with the moms, with the dads, uh, whatever it is, wherever you are, wherever you go, people are saying, man, tell me why you are the way you are in a good way, right? So, why are you like this? This is amazing. Why, why aren't you getting mad at that person? Why aren't you wanting to take revenge on that person? Why aren't, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So there should be this, when people taste our life, they 
Give me more. I'm salivating, right? When you, you, when you eat salt, that's why they put beer nuts on, on a, in a bar is they want you to drink more beer. So you eat the nuts and you're like, I need something to thirst my quench. And then they end up making more money. There you go. You're welcome. Don't fall into the trap. Okay. <laughs> so yes, we're called to be salty and we're called to be other than this world. We're called to be different. And we as Christians understand that. But sometimes we take that so far and you ever taste something that's too salty. What do you want to do? And your face puckers up. Your insides dry up, right? And some of us walk around with this badge of pride and saying, look how different I am. I'm not like those sinners. I'm not like those hypocrites of the world. I'm so much better than them. And if you act this way, oh, don't even look at me because I'm so pure and holy, I'm so other. I can't accept anything that is less than my righteousness. And people go, you're salty, bro. (laughs) The challenge is to live a life that demands an explanation because we're living a life that is flowing from the Holy Spirit, Him empowering us to be tasteful to others. Don't be too salty. Um, And so... I'm going to, well, here, let me push it the other way. Don't be afraid to be salty, though. Uh, I just discovered this, this spice. Uh, it's called turmeric. Is that how you say it? Yeah. You all are like, where have you been for the past? <laughs> okay. I have spices in my spice rack. I have no clue what they do. Right? I, honestly, like thyme and basil and parsley, they're all kind of, I, <laughs> I know they're different, okay, to all you watch Hell's Kitchen all the time, I get it, you know all this stuff, um, but for me, there's some things in there, I'm like, tar, tartar, 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 like, why would I want tartar in there, that's stuff I scrape off my teeth, like, I'm not going to put that in there, you know, I don't know what to do with it, I couldn't, I don't have a clue. But I'm telling you, the moment I discovered this turmeric, I put it in a chicken soup. I was like, holy cow, this is awesome. And it it brought this color and it enhanced everything. And so my encouragement to us this morning is, don't be afraid to be salty. Don't be afraid to be a contrast to the world. Don't be afraid to stand out. Don't be afraid to let people taste Christ who's in you because sometimes we hide it. And it's, it's just who you are. You don't have to work it up. If you are a believer in Christ, it naturally is who you are. If you've been a believer for one day, it's who you are. If you've been a believer for 50 years, it's who you are. It's your identity. Don't be afraid to be salty because that's what Jesus is telling us. Now, what's the enemy of salt? Now, here's what Jesus says about this. Let's read it again, verse 13. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has lost its taste... How shall its saltiness be restored? Now, often what we do is we think somehow like the the salt will lose its essence. And I'm not, you can argue with me here, but I don't believe that's what Jesus is saying about the salt. I believe that if we are salt, we are salt, and salt is salt. It can't change what it is. But the danger of what can happen is it can get diluted. You ever make like chicken soup? You add the chicken broth, right? 
and then you put too much chicken broth or too much liquid and you're hoping somehow like, and you taste it and you're like, tastes like boiled chicken. <laughs> Why? It's because too much of outside ingredients got into the soup and we lost the potency of it. And so what I'm gonna say to us is we don't lose our essence of who we are, but we as Christians often get diluted. The enemy of salt is delusion. It's not the essence of who we are that somehow changes. It's that things from the outside begin to infiltrate who we are. And so I'm gonna give us three things. I, there's probably, this is not an exhaustive list, but there's probably thousands of them. And there, we all probably wrestle with different things. But three things I said, God, what is it for us at Chino that I think you're wanting to identify as, as a culture, us as a location, geographical church, things that could dilute us as a people. And here they are. Number one is that we often find meaning and identity in the same things that the world does. Let me say that again. We often find identity and meaning in the same thing that the world does. So when the world looks at us and goes, hey, you're saying all this stuff, but when I actually spend time with you, you seem a lot like me. Why is that? How come you want the same things I want? How come you're finding your hope and your happiness and your joy in the same things I am? I thought you were different. Number two, we look out for ourselves instead of looking out for others. Isn't that the way of the world? Isn't that culture around us? Man, there's this job promotion. How am I going to make so-and-so look bad? so that I look good to my boss? How am I going to make sure that I win that prize and so-and-so doesn't? How can I work the system in such a way that I come out on top and the other person doesn't? It's delusion. It's the world getting into this. And then number three, the obvious one, is that we engage in sin instead of feasting on God. I know I'm guilty of these things. And I'm sure some of us here in this room are. And again, it's not an exhaustive list. We could probably go on and on and on. But when we start to do these things, our saltiness starts to fade away. It's not that we don't be salt anymore. It's the fact that we've added all this stuff. And so when someone tastes our life, they're like, uh, I don't see any difference. These both taste the same. And you're telling me you got to act a certain way and do all these things, but then you're acting this way and doing all these things. Whatever, hypocrite, right? If we become deluded, we have nothing to point people to. We're no different. And, and Jesus will, he, he speaks about these things later. We're not going to read them today, but he, he talks about marriage and divorce. It's, it's statistically the same in the church as it is in the world. Finances, debt. Same in the, in the church as it is in the world. Lust and anger and revenge and generosity, promises, gluttony, and we could go on and on and on how we become delusioned. So let's look at the other one here because we're running out of time. He talks about salt and then he talks about light. And he says, you are the light of the world. Now here's some things about the beauty of light. I love that. You ever see like a picture of 
a long exposure, a camera that's been long exposed. And, you know, I was looking on a lot of the Instagram things that I do. I love like nature stuff or outdoorsy things. Or, and, and so um, one of these things I follow, it's like, um, oh, I can't remember. Never mind. I'm not going to promote them. Anyways, so it's this idea that it's always these guys camping and they'll show like a picture of a tent in the forest and it's always at nighttime and the tent is lit up you know, and what you'll see is the stars. And there's something about, I want to go into that tent. Like when I see it lit up, it looks like, it looks like a honey jar glowing, you know, and I, I want to like unzip it. And then in my imagination, when I get inside, it's going to be like, oh, like little fairies floating around. And there's a fireplace with coffee and guys are like, you know, drinking some ale together and they're singing songs in a tent. This, I know this can't happen in a tent, but in my mind, that's where I go. It's so attractive to me. It's lit up and it's warm and it's inviting. What are some other things about light? What does it do? Well, it reveals truth, right? You ever stumble in the dark? You ever kick your pinky toe against the cabinet corner and you... That's what I say. You might say something different in the middle of the night. When you step on a Lego, whatever it is, those of you who have kids... And what, all you need is some light to show you the way. It reveals truth, shows us the way to walk. And when Jesus says, you're the salt of the earth, you are the light of the world, he's saying, hey, you're meant to be warm and inviting. Yes, you're meant to be different and contrasted to this world, but at the same time, you hold both these truths in tension, and on this side, you're supposed to be warm and invitational, hospitable to the world. Not judgmental and so salty that everyone's like, what a jerk. When people experience you, it's like, man, what is it about Ryan that, like, every time I talk to him, I just want to talk to him more. Every time I talk to him, I feel like, like, I feel a little taller, you know? Uh, get, sit around Isaac for five minutes. You cannot have a bad day around Isaac, right? You cannot have a bad day around this guy. He's just like, hey, man, how you doing? Let me tell you about how awesome God is. You're like, I actually believe you. <laughs> Same thing with Dylan. Where's Dylan? I mean, Dylan's like, you can't have a bad day around Dylan. There he is. There's Dylan. Go around Dylan and just, if, you, if you're feeling bad, go get some light from Dylan. He's going to rub off you, on you. And he's going to be like, man, he gave me a big old hug this morning. He's like, that's like a dad hug. <laughs> I don't know what that means, but... <laughs> I need a dad hug from Dylan. And we need to give dad hugs to the world. They need to like, man, there's light inside you. I've been stumbling around the dark. I've been kicking my toe on the, on the nightstand. I've been stepping on Legos. And I'm just getting frustrated. And I can't see anything. And we're like, let me, let me, let me, let me tell you something. I'm not, I have light inside me. Let me share it with you. This light is Jesus. He can illuminate for you. He could show you the path. And it's not, just, it's not just like boring and sad and grumpy and here's a list of all the things you can't do. It's beautiful. It's inviting. Did you, did you know when God walked with Adam and Eve, it says he walked with them in the cool of the day and he spent time with them and he conversed with them. And let me, let me tell you, let, let, me, let me express to you how that is. It's like Care Bear Stare, right? Pew! <laughs> 
You know what I'm talking about. You 80s kids. My parents didn't let me watch that. It was like satanic for some reason. If you grew up in the 80s, everything was satanic. Gosh. I wish we would have understood the gospel in the 80s. All right. So if, if dilution is the enemy of saltiness, what's the enemy of light? Some of us would say darkness, but I'm going to say it's not darkness. You're like, what? And here's why I'm going to say that. No matter how dark it gets. Right? And one time we were, we were in Arkansas on a family vacation, and there's... Um, caverns in, in there. And if you've ever been in one of these tours, as they do it, I'm sure they do it all over the place. They take you into like the deepest part of the cavern and it's lit and you know, there's no natural light in there. And then the tour guide says, I'm going to turn off the lights, right? And you're like, ah! well, if you think you've been in dark before, you've never experienced darkness like this because there is zero light coming into this cavern. I mean, he's like, Turn your lights off and now put your hand in front of your face. And usually when it's dark, you can kind of perceive where your hand is. In this dark, you're like, oh, there it is, right? It is so dark. But here's the beautiful thing about light. I could have lit the smallest, teeny tiniest, little, 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 little match. And it immediately dispels that darkness. No matter how dark, the darkness gets, it cannot overcome the light. And I think a clue for us, understanding what the enemy of, of light is, is not necessarily darkness, it's the covering of the light. It's the hiding of the light. And that's why Jesus says, you are the light, don't cover it. What do you do with light? You put it on a stand. So what happens? So that everyone in the room can see. And Christians, this morning, if you are hiding your light because you're afraid of what the world will say, see, that's the enemy of our light. It's the fear of man. You are the light. You are a candle. You're like the, the, the flashlight on your, your smartphone. Wherever you're going, it's always on. Why would you cover it? Why would you try to black it out? The only reason I can think of is because we're afraid of what people will say about that light. We're afraid of when God says, hey, go speak to that person over there who you don't know and just tell them about Jesus. Ooh, I can't do that. What if they like say mean things to me? What if they look at me funny? <laughs> right? These things are in my heart too. I often am like, I know I'm supposed to share my light, but what ends up happening is I'm afraid of what this person will think, what these people will say, the way I'll be perceived. Is you're one of those weird Christians that everybody, you know, the way the world understands Christians, you're a hypocrite. I just saw all the things, all the little lies that go around my head and all the fear that my heart tells me over and over and over again. And then I have to come back to the truth of Matthew 5. And Jesus tells the disciples, you are salt you are light. Don't hide it. Don't put it under a bushel. No. 
put it on the stand. You know what else I love about this portion of scripture? This is the first time that the idea of father has been introduced to the disciples. So far, we've only seen Father God as the Father of the Son. You know, when Jesus gets baptized and the, the voice of the Father comes down and says, this is my Son with whom I am well pleased. The Spirit descends on him like a dove. Everyone's like, oh, God the Father. There's angels singing, all these kind of things. And Jesus then, he takes this identity of being a son and he gives it to us, his disciples. And he says, don't be afraid. He says, your Father. He speaks of Father in this, in this instance. And my encouragement to us is, Southlands, let your light shine. Don't be afraid. Don't let the enemy of your light, which is you wanting to cover it and put it under a blanket and put it under a bushel. No, don't do that. Let it shine. Put your light on the stand. Now, we got to move on real quick here. Oh, man. You guys, we're not going to. Say this. This is kind of funny. Just to mix it up. Lean to your neighbor and say, don't be a dimlet. All right, you're welcome. All right. Oh my gosh. Not a dim wit. Dim lit. Okay, let's go back to scripture here. Now, what we, I've intentionally done this backwards this morning. I skipped verses one through 12, right? What I've been talking about is the exhale. If you breathe, you. Taking the oxygen, fills your lungs, fills your, the, the blood, the capillaries, gives your body oxygen so you can sustain yourself, but then you got to expel it, right? Well, what I've been saying so far is the, the exhale. Jesus says, you are this, and then so act this way. Well, in order for us to, we need to, all right? And so here's the, hope I don't hyperventilate here, Okay. Matthew chapter 5, verses 1, we'll start there, and, and this is Jesus seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him, and here it is, we know this one, verse 2, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Again, if we don't understand the gospel, what we do is we read this, Beatitudes, this is the Latin for blessed, okay? We we read these statements of blessing and we go, okay, I have to act a certain way in order to be a certain way, to order to get God's favor. But that's not what Jesus is doing here. He's giving them this way of life and he's saying, this is who you are, blessed are you when you do this, and this is meant to be an inhale of our lives, See, in order to exert power, we have to be given power, right? In order for us us to exert energy, we need to receive energy. In order for me to run a, a, 
5K, I need some carbs. I know carbs are the enemy, I get it. You, know, you guys are all like, oh, carbs are so 2009, okay? <laughs> but in order for me to have power, I need to receive power. And in, in, in order for us to be salt and light, we need to inhale something. And what Jesus is doing with us in verses one through 12 is he's saying, these are the blessed things. And so breathe these in as a lifestyle. Now it's so counter-cultural to the way we live. And I learned something this week studying through these Beatitudes. You know, this isn't the first time that these Beatitudes were ever like written to a group of disciples. This was a common thing for rabbis and teachers to be able to tell their disciples, blessed are you when you do this. Now there's this guy, where are we? There's this guy named Ben Sira. And he was a famous Jewish rabbi and he had his own disciples and he had some beatitudes as well. I'm just gonna read you some of these things, all right? Uh, if, you, if you're running to write this down and look it up, you can, but it's Ben Sirah. You can look up chapter 25, verses seven through nine. Well, they even have some scripture. Now this wasn't included in canon of scripture and there's some reasons why. We're gonna see that here. It says, there are nine who come to mind as blessed, a 10th whom my tongue proclaims, even sounds like scripture, right? The man who finds his joy in his children. That's a great thing. And the one who lives to see the downfall of his enemies. Uh, okay, let's keep reading. Happy the man who lives with a sensible woman. Amen, right? <laughs> and the one who does not plow with an ox and a donkey combined. Now that is speaking of a man having two wives who are incompatible. Man, this sounds kind of selfish. Happy the one who does not sin with the tongue, yes, who does not serve an inferior. Wait a minute. Like, this is starting to sound different than Christianity. Happy the one who finds a friend who speaks to attentive ears. Basically, whoever you're talking to, man, everyone's listening to you. Now, this would have been a common thing for the disciples of that time to listen to and go, yes, amen. I don't want to serve an inferior. It's all about me. Well, what does that sound like in the year 2018? The world. Jesus comes along and he gives us this upside down kingdom. Blessed are the poor in spirit. What? You mean when I'm humble in my spirit, when I'm meek and gentle, then I'm blessed? Not when like everything's going my way and I don't suffer fools, as Ben Sirah was kind of saying? Blessed are you when you're reviled? What is happening here? And what Jesus is telling his disciples is, friends, this is a way of life. This is what you've been called to as my disciples. Breathe it in. Get your power. I don't, that sounds weird. Get your sustenance. Get your energy to be salt and light from the way you live with me. Don't just go seeking your own desires. Don't go seeking your own pleasures. Don't go seeking what the world says. You're different than that. You're salt and your light. Be salty, let your light shine. But don't do it out of your own power. Do it out of the way that I've called you to live. Remember like what Tom said last week, man, we Sabbath, we rest because it gives us energy for the next day. And you and I are called to live this way of life so that we can empower our saltiness, so that we can empower our light so that when people taste and see, they see Jesus, they see Christ in us. 
I'll end with this. This was a, this was a man who was writing a letter um, to a guy named Diognetus, uh, and some believed that he was um, the tutor to Marcus Aurelius, okay? And he was writing about the Christians of this time. His name was only known as Mathetes, uh, which means disciple in Greek, and so we're not exactly sure who, who the author is, but this is what he says about Christians. It's a rather lengthy quote, so bear with me. I have it up on the screen. It says this, Christians are not different because of their country or the language they speak or the way they dress. They do not isolate themselves in their cities nor use a private language. Even in the life they lead has nothing strange. They live in their own countries and are strangers. They loyally fulfill their duties as citizens but are treated as foreigners. Every foreign land is for them a fatherland and every fatherland foreign. They marry like everyone. They have children, but they do not kill their newborn. They have the table in common, but not the bed. They are in the flesh, but do not live according to the flesh. They dwell on earth, but are citizens of heaven. They obey the laws of the state, but in their lives they go beyond the law. They love everyone, yet are persecuted by everyone. No one really knows them, but all condemn them. They are killed, but go on living. They are poor, but enrich many. They have nothing, but abound in everything. But in the contempt, they find glory before God. Their honor is insulted, while their justice is acknowledged. When they are cursed, they bless. When they are insulted, they answer with kind words. They do good to others and are punished like evildoers. When they are punished, they rejoice as if they were given life. The Jews make war against them as if they were a foreign race. The Greeks persecuted them, but those who hate them cannot tell the reason for their hatred. Isn't that beautiful? Doesn't that make you long for that? Doesn't it kind of identify things where you're saying, oh, I need to work on that. Let's stand this morning.